0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. podcast episode 11 welcome newcomers and subscribers the website is goldengoatguild.net golden goat guild on instagram and you can fi- you can subscribe to this podcast on patreon and if you need a set of a set of links you can find that in the bio on instagram as well as I believe it's on. Yeah, you can navigate there through the website. Today is Tuesday, November twenty third, two thousand and twenty one. I mean, inc- I'm coming to you uh, once again in a um, from an urban hide location, overwatching authentic Mexican food where deeply, deeply malevolent activities uh, are evidently ongoing. So I will be keeping an eye on them. Per usual, I have arranged around me my standard everyday carry, Walk by Faith 777, classic mountain man style tomahawk, find him on instagram very fine products my winkler knives operator left pocket greatest knife ever produced in my opinion my sig 230 for which i have recently finally acquired uh a vintage but barely used extra magazine now that the 230 model was discontinued, presumably only to be revived in another 15, 20 years, because a design that aesthetically beautiful cannot, cannot be ignored. I would not be surprised if it came back in um, American Standard 9mm, as opposed to the German Short 9 9 millimeter Coors as we call it 380 and new in the lineup is my vintage Benchmade McHenry Williams 710 model this was the first model that had the famous axis lock You hear it. Super solid. Kind of the industry standard, in my opinion. Or I guess in most opinions. I have, um, it's in beautiful condition. Essentially new. Also discontinued. So it took me a while to locate a good one. This is a pre-production run, number 243 of 400. I've added a snaggletooth. It doesn't... It works, and it works just fine. However, it does not sit down on the spine of the blade properly. So for this reason, um, Rob, I believe his name is, at snaggletooth, has kindly offered to send me a mini version of the same Snaggletooth. So I'm very pleased. Even if um, the mini doesn't work, I can live with... it's, It's on the spine, rock solid. It functions as it should. Even the aesthetics of it are not... As, you know, it's not, again, flat to the spine of the blade it's okay sponsor tonight we mentioned last episode I believe my my conversion to homeopathy with all these things um, it's systems working within systems and it's, sometimes you can get lucky and just throw something at whatever is ailing you at other times it requires, you know, it's hidden behind a wall or two. It, you might think that it's your... I don't know, say you have excessive and painful gas. And you may think, well, this is the food I'm eating. And it may well be. It may also be gallbladder or liver. And most of us could not point to those I can point to one of them the point being with all of these alternate healing modalities um, that take you out of the money funnel which is mainstream or so called allopathic medicine and they put you in more control now as suggested the responsibility you know requires knowledge so you can hire that out you can learn yourself you can do I would suggest both forces of nature organic plant medicine this absolutely guarantee I I guarantee you this works this is a fantastic brand and I highly recommend it very grateful tonight I think I'm bearding the mic I apologize for those ruffling sounds tonight Um, we've got what I think is an exploratory discussion likely to veer into some very high octane speculation as the, um, the singular Dr. Joseph Farrell says high octane speculation is his term. As well as here in the notes are some some places I, I hope to take this material. By material, mainly I'm referring to my copy here of the recently declassified CIA documents produced evidently by U.S. Army Intelligence and Security Command, Fort Meade, Maryland, June 9th, 1983. An analysis and assessment of Gateway Process. There's some substantial commentary to be made on this document. And additionally, you are probably aware of a fellow, I believe his name is Andrew, um, Huberman on Instagram. It's Huberman Labs, Stanford. Uh, sort of sort of cutting edge. Um, he does sports stuff, he does a lot of breathing related stuff. It's mostly seemingly, you know, performance-based, but it is very good. I have not really given his podcast um, the attention that it likely deserves, but I follow him from a distance, and he recently produced, or recently, he he does the video podcast, and then he prepares some clips and posts them up to Instagram. So this is how I monitor his output. A couple days ago, he sort of teased his discussion of regarding the results of a certain study. I've posted his video onto the Instagram stories. And he's, I'm very grateful Um, for him boiling it down into this two, three-minute video. There's a few concentrated facts in those three minutes that I find exceedingly valuable. Hmm. My concern, because it's my craft, because I've spent 25 years consciously honing this craft, producing long-form fiction, studying, you know, thousands of movies, the screenwriting degree was never, you know, so much intended as something I would use to, you know, as a career, Um, I wasn't that naive But the in-depth study of the construction of stories, you know, was intensely fascinating. I think I told in an early pilot episode the short version of the first novel attempt in, like, 2002, where I just sat back and realized I I have absolutely no clue how to how to construct a plot this of course led into many years of going back and forth and back and forth on the age old question between to plot or not to plot and I guess again we can take this little minor detour it probably deserves its own segment however but the aristotelian the aristotelian yeah um, aristotle isolated categorized and i i'd have to admit i don't know if he extrapolated this out to like a cosmic telos but he certainly came to understand and His understanding was proliferated on up to David Mamet, from whom I learned beginning, middle, and end. The alternate to this would be David Milch, from whom I learned, in this case, directly, uh, his voice in my ear. Whereas with Mamet, I I did have actually some contact with Mamet. I think we've talked about this as well, but I've never actually spoken with him. So, I say that David Milch is my primary writing mentor. He's really... There were a couple of others. Um, my screenwriting instructor was very, very helpful, but more in sort of a distant, you know, non-direct, not intimate fashion. He was being paid, whereas Mr. Milch was not. Mr. David Milch, who is, I understand now, suffering from Alzheimer's, which is a particularly brutal fate to befall uh, mind of that caliber. I I don't say stuff like this very often but my heart genuinely goes out to him and his family. Um, not only for his generosity to me but um, having brushed up against Alzheimer's it's um, it's just fucking horrendous. It's brutal on in every way. Um, but in no way, you know, will this ever detract from Milch's contributions. As far as I'm concerned. Deadwood is still the, the best of the cable series shows. I, I have to admit, you know, the NYPD stuff, NYPD Blue stuff... Um, is very solid, but it's sort of, it's tough for, at my stage of development, and maybe because I was actually young when that show I was like a teenager when that show was on air it's tough to go back and study it but um, his lectures will be around for a long, long, long time, and his having carried forth this lineage from Robert Penn Warren, who is considered one of the great all-time American men of letters um, and novelist. He, he wrote all sorts of stuff. Yale, I believe. Yeah, Yale is where these two characters met up. And um, Mr. Warren was um, Milch was protege to mr. Warren for quite some time. And so David Milch's approach to narrative is is sort of so hyper advanced due to his intense uh, intensely cerebral, I mean, he's definitely um, one who can channel genius. There's no question about that. And he's also like um, a maniacal workhorse and very extreme in, in the way he lived his life. And all this sort of went together in the way that these things do to produce somebody who with superlative artistic ability you know he's not going to be um his whole his whole sort of approach is ambivalence towards order and that's at every level that's woven through the fabric of his being and it has resulted of course through this just um he, he refers to himself as an eater of novels. And there's, you know, I mean, thousands and thousands of novels has he read um, to say nothing of all that he produced. And, you know, this resulted in a very particular approach to narrative where, let's say, in my terms... His connection with the daemon is very developed, like man and wife developed, like an old couple arguing developed. So his subconscious is presumably working for him to steer him within structure. I don't believe that, I don't know, some like story. He's the story doctor that's brought in. So perhaps these people have insulted him over the years by bringing in a story doctor to kind of tighten up this or that so maybe it fit within the commercial break timelines in terms of you know network tv and then there were various constraints even with hbo in the the longer form no commercial breaks but This is to suggest that, or just clarify, that Milch does not formally adhere to some doctrine of structure. And nor do I. What I think happens is, in my experience, you come to know the structure so well that you you, you know that you're going to turn the story here or there and you also know once you've discovered and harnessed the power of the rewrite and the edit you begin to have a different i mean you don't not everybody begins not everybody does shit but under let's say under mr milch's tutelage from afar uh I discovered, and I believe he discovered, and it would have taken me maybe forever without his assistance, to understand that when you are in the act of writing, you know, nothing else is going on. You pray, and then you go, with total abandon. And if you're the type of writer who structures his day or has the luxury of having, you know whole days at a time to approach this some people will dump the creative stuff in the morning edit in the evening this was not my approach Uh, other people might do a couple of sessions during a day i have found success with that approach either way the point is that writing is at least twofold um, in the main, there's there's more folds within than that. But to say that if you've produced something and you, you wanted me to, say, guide you, mentor you, my first question would be how many rewrites? Depending on what it is, how good you are, etc., if you're asking for help, you're probably not that good. We're talking like 15 or 20 to even look at it. Because otherwise, it's an absolute waste of time. And it shows right out of the gate that you may not be cut out for this. And the truth is that hardly any human being is cut out for this. So with this narrative detour about the structure of narrative... We're asking ourselves, what the fuck does this have to do with this declassified CIA document? And what does this have to do with Andrew Huberman telling us about this new study? He calls it a very elegant study. As a guy who you know makes a living uh, in part at least evaluating medical studies, he does seem pretty excited about it. The basic outline of the study, the results let's say are that he, so various human beings were their respiratory systems, heart rate, breath rate, etc. were tested while listening to a certain story. They were not tested in a group. They were tested in different locations at different times. Presumably there was no contact between these people. And what they found was that the the subjects responded their heart rate, breath rate he called it respiratory sinus arrhythmia I believe and this appears to be a medical term for the relationship that you can feel it if you do some breath work between your heart rate or your heart activity and your breath activity linked up of course with all the systems and the central nervous system such that in a general sense the heart rate slightly increases upon inhale and slightly decreases in the exhale so what they find is that these two are these you know disparate subjects who were tested are responding very similarly, he states, Huberman again, states that the test, the, the, whatever the monitoring apparatus that they're using to test this respiratory sinus arrhythmia are very finely tuned. So it's not a general pattern uh, correlating evidently to the ebbs and flows of the story. It's a very, very highly refined, specific reaction comparable in the subjects in response to the narrative. The reason this is so stunning and timely from my personal selfish point of view is that this is, this is the precise and absolute, maybe not absolute, let's say it's a precise, supportive study um, for the entire explication and the time spent going over and in-depth to describe at every possible angle that I could the warrior's way, because that's what this is. We keep talking about circuits. You know, Huberman's talking about the a practice of gratitude in relation to storytelling, namely that you can tell yourself a type of story and experience gratitude, and it's well documented that the experience of gratitude will, has positive benefits on your whole being. Um, from central nervous system through to heart rate blood pressure etc so that's you know Huberman's uh, focus of attention mine is this relevance to story structure itself why as we're going to find out with the CIA document, and and don't worry, I will get into my um, very appropriate and developed skepticism on the generation, the timing, and everything of this document, as well as the gateway process. But my excitement about this derives from the fact that essentially the CIA is confirming the effectiveness of the gateway process. It's confirming an entire sort of, albeit evolutionarily based and, um, you know, probably ultimately atheistic sort of scientism worldview. It's confirming the, the relationship between consciousness and if you will, find the findings of physics with respect to brain waves, carrier waves energy grids there's some stuff in here that there really needs to be in my opinion and we'll get into it dissected and critiqued a little bit but suffice to say that my point my point of view extending out of what I learned from David Milch what I learned in what I say 25 years of conscious study and a lifetime of reading and a lifetime of you know watching movies and being transported by them and and being uh, molded capital molded by them by stories in general uh, a lifetime of this has resulted in my Not altogether original theory that there's some type of quantum relationship uh, between that that is let's say available to the reader. And I will go further to draw the fine distinction that the quality of this experience is on par with the quality of the writing, the quality of the writing extends from the intensity. Experienced by the writer at the time of writing and intensity of what? Feeling and namely suffering. This is a time worn cliche, Hemingway's adage yeah, writing's easy. You just sit down in the chair and bleed. Is the first one that comes to mind not my favorite. Not exactly um, about writing but as David Milch would tell you from the writer's point of view almost everything is about writing the famous Swearengin line from Deadwood you know I can't recall it but it's um, it's essentially life is suffering and you're going to take a lot of beatings So be a man and give some back. This is to say that there are true books. There are true short stories. And when I say true, as with this description of Mr. Milch's approach... This is not, you know, this is the area of, um, you know, where the artist starts to bleed into the shaman, starts to bleed into, uh, <coughs> pardon me, the, uh, the warrior poet, etc. Um, forces bigger than any one man are very much involved. And in order to produce, in my definition, a true work, it's... It's not entirely your creation, and it's not just. In, it's not even just the daemon. It's not even whatever entities or angels are having parlay with your daemon. It seems to be um, bigger than that, perhaps because it's this triune structure again of. Beginning, middle, and end is infused into the fabric of our experience of being human. The Warrior's Way, insofar as it too is a, is a story, it's a structure. You know, this is how it, we sort of referred to it in episodes 9 and 10, I believe, is its own sort of odd, metaphysical, crystalline type of structure that I believe needs to be approached with that perspective. It is not yet another uh, primitive myth or what have you that can be commercialized and refined into its final uh, pure saccharine product uh, on, the, on the silver screen with a, with a superhero you may be thinking, well, what about the hero's journey? The hero's journey, as well, appears to be a similar type of crystalline, you know, ectoplasmic substance, structure, interfacing, or, you know, co-mingling between the worlds. In my opinion, the warrior's way supersedes, it's like A larger carrier wave, if you know what I mean, and to extend the metaphor, the journey of a a thousand faces, I think it's called, the hero's journey, would be like a harmonic of the warrior's way. We refer to this moment where you're on the bathroom, you're puking, you're about to return, and you know you're going to puke. And I said, this is a moment that you can overlay the warrior's way on top of In that moment, you have, you know, as we said, reduced mental activity to a kind of uh, an ultimate humility. You're not getting up. You're not giving anybody a hard time. You're not going to accomplish a damn thing. And you are filled with gratitude, just absolutely flowing with relief. You know, when that last bit of puke... Uh, at least in that kind of round is expelled and the warrior's way is operating on this type of visceral level it is available to you when the shit hits the fan when the balloon goes up um, when the dogs bark and the headlights flash at two in the morning outside of your house. This is what is accessible to the conscious mind when it is hit with the potentially terminal cocktail of fight or flight, cortisol, adrenaline, uber dump. And other methods pale other shall we say stories that you may tell yourself especially if you originated them yourself are utter shit in comparison to the power of this story is this because as huberman's pointing out and he even says in that short clip that even the bullet point version of your gratitude story will trigger the central nervous system response if presumably, he didn't say this, but presumably habituated. So this says to me, and my experience is, was already the case, which is why prior to this video, um, I devoted you know, three important episodes of this podcast specifically to approaching this, approaching it, approaching it again and again and again. Is it my contention, my speculative contention that a deep familiarity, like not just, like we said in, again, we referred to earlier, an experiential level, you live it. As Mike Pannon said, To be hard, you got to live hard. That's what this means to me. To be hard, you got to live hard. It's true. Does the warrior's way trigger a similar set of... To me, this is a quantum experience where at these finely tuned levels of brainwave Um, I believe the heart can be measured in terms of its frequency these organs are being retuned in relation to the meaning catapulted, catapulted through time space in audio waves into your ear interpreted by again your your dome central nervous system then reacts to this does the warrior warrior's way as a structure operate similarly absolutely it does that is the entire not the entire but okay so the entire story would be what are the effects of this if lived out, if embodied, if we take Mike Pannon at his word as a hard ass motherfucker himself, what would be the cumulative effect of embodying this story at the level of your heart rate, breath rate, brain rate, uh, the dreams that you would have, brain rate, excuse me, brain waves? alpha states, what have you, the cumulative effect, say after five years, what about after 50 years? This is my curiosity. This is what my life is devoted to. And whatever we find, it is an amazing time to be alive. Castaneda sure as hell didn't have this to fall back on, did he? But I do. This raises another, this is not the order that I had imagined, but this raises a very important point about orthodoxy and, to be fair, about other, quote, you know, ancient um, belief systems Worldviews, re, religions, etc., and that is that orthodoxy. And they do have; they won't. No, that's not how the church works. They don't look down their nose at you. They just smile and nod. Orthodoxy knew this about gratitude three thousand years ago, without the use of science at all hardly with any recording tools, pen and paper and zero microprocessors, zero electronic equipment. What does that tell you about, well, one, I mean, you gotta be asking yourself how, so what is the Aether Fire, the genius contained within this? It is a worldview. It's the only that I know of, absolutely coherent worldview taken by itself. Because of my extremely Americanized um, experience, uh, I choose to live my life, you know, with addendums, with op- not options, but. Uh, Optionality. let's say, let's use the corporate terminology, to expand my own understanding. Because what really it is, is accepting how diminished I actually am and using whatever tools are available in order to try and catch up to the level, the state of enlightenment that, I mean... Maximus the Confessor, Gregory of Nyssa, pick your pick your saint. Mine is Melchizedek, mysterious and only known saint character in the Bible to be both warrior and priest. That is king and priest. In his the lineage of his priesthood, uh was carried down to Christ. So, Orthodoxy already knew for two or three thousand years the power of gratitude. And they've also been preaching the power of repentance and humility. It is said only through water and spirit. What does this mean? If these characters knew 3,000 years ago the fundamental and absolutely scientifically documented power of gratitude, which, let's go ahead and make the note, is pretty closely related to humility in reality. And... While gratitude may be able to be faked to an extent, uh, repentance and metanoia cannot. This is, uh, in my understanding, a direct walking, a direct communion with God. So there's a lot to consider in this particular respect, and it comes up over and over and over again for the years that I've been paying attention that again not just orthodoxy Um, Buddhism again is a system that I'm very familiar with and they too had um, sorted this out we can go into the you know Andrew Edwards is not a, a syncretist justification story in another episode we will not detour for that tonight Okay. Another crucial, important point regarding this, these findings, stories affect heart rate, breathing patterns over time, fucked up breathing patterns become chronic dysfunction, which serves to uh, kill you, you know, frankly, in all manner of ways so stories here have a very unique power referencing Hoffman he calls it the Videodrome experience uh, forewarns us about all the virtual reality metaverse immersion in you know, Baudrillard's Desert of the Real or boards spectacle or whatever we want to call it movies and media hijack the central nervous system and alter beliefs over time they alter values they alter the sense of self they alter in altering the self the collective And in altering the collective, the collective narrative, if you will, or ideology is ripe for manipulation, if not at that point, seemingly inevitable. We're told this, Francis Fukuyama, the end of history. This is a whole, in-your-face, intellectual, this is war. This is intellectual war that is used to justify kinetic war at some point, cognitive war at some point, war by attrition at some point, etc. I... Gave everything that I have or had because I lost it all to King of Dogs. And that is the only novel, I th- you know, I've said before, I, th- I think it's six or seven I've written in total, a similar number of screenplays. It was on that book that I came to understand what is demanded of the true work. Everything it is my contention that in the, as a result of this creation of true work, the fabric of reality is altered. the, fab, the, the minds and lives of and I, I will say here as an aside, the true work, let's face it, is not available to be processed by, by the masses, by everybody. I think that some in the masses could press themselves. I've mentioned before that the book was edited and highly lauded, uh, highly praised by an individual who I've chosen to preserve her identity She works with the biggest names that you can think of. Um, Both in criticism, in fiction, academia, PhD, MFA, masters on the side. All of the absolute biggest schools that you can think of. You think of the biggest ones you know and find the next level up. That's this person. So there are people that are so devoted to their, to their craft or their art that the ideology ultimately at, at least comes in to stark relief, if not finds itself within this reader being actively eroded. The powers that be, the cryptocracy, to imagine that they don't know this is ridiculous. And to imagine that a political solution, while we have to fight that fight, sure, great. How about a small portion of those funds go to support the few warrior poets in the world that are fighting upstream of that? And it's upstream, not just in the sense of, well, it affects culture, so we need to just, you know, produce this shit and get it out there so that fucking retards read it and then become convinced. I'm telling you, in my experience, having paid the ultimate prices for everything, with everything, to produce this, this work, and, of course, that informs everything done subsequently, including this explication of the warrior's way this stuff is primary nobody joins the military because they see a fucking recruiting station at the strip mall they join because of Top Gun, First Blood what have you case closed how many for those who served how often were movies available were they available in the barracks? Did a lot of people watch them? Was that a major pastime in, in the experience of the military? If you don't know the answer, yeah. Yeah, it's all available. Maybe not on the deepest uh, fucking recon mission, but even then, God knows. It's available, on. Uh, you know, I think at almost all times. To reaffirm these narratives. Because it's far more powerful than I mean fuck, it's it's is it more powerful than you know the Band of Brothers? No, absolutely not. But the Band of Brothers still needs a coherent, functional, true story to get them to that spot within the context of fate. These bigger forces. So, for subscribers um, who presumably are either still listening to or have listened to episodes of the Warhorse podcast, 8, 9, and 10, you may... It may help to to take in some of this commentary and um, do your own dissection, do your own unpacking, as the um, the barista say, of the Warrior's Way material. Um, I can't claim that it's absolutely complete and perfect, but I will claim that it is the best. Explication available right now anywhere. And I will not go into why I know that. Okay, we're going to skip a couple of these extra notes and move over to this CIA doc you meant. And pull you so basically you know this is a study uh, who knows who can it looks like lieutenant colonel wayne mcdonnell was tasked with creating this study it doesn't say how long it went on they reference several sort of traditional sources to come to a kind of To build out the context, I guess, for like a lay-level reader. So I'll try and do that, you know, a, a, a shoddy version. But basically, the Monroe Institute in Virginia, Robert Monroe, I believe, pioneered this. It became a whole center. I think it still does exist, and it trains individuals in brain hemisphere synchronization or hemisync. and it says here in this document uh, related methods such as hypnosis, transcendental meditation and biofeedback uh, were studied in relation to trying to come to grips with whatever the hell was going on with the gateway and the, for the gateway process and uh, the Monroe Institute. So Monroe was teaching people how to do hemi-sync, which is like biurnal beats of a very specific type pumped into your ear holes to create very specific brain states. And his either hypothesis theory uh, or discovery uh, was that this works to bring about these states like lucid dreaming, uh, astral projection, out-of-body experiences, etc. As I recall, Monroe claimed to have mapped, you know, he refers to it as the universe. Again, there is a materialistic, which is the main takeaway for me, of this whole paper, there's an evolutionary, materialistic pr- presumption uh, on the part of the Monroe Institute, certainly on the part of the CIA, and presumably Fort Meade. Nineteen eighty-three. I I looked, I scoured, you know, for some indication of this having been actually produced more recently, some tell or giveaway, but. It would have been pretty, pretty cutting-edge stuff in 83. There is a seamless integration in terms of the explanatory narrative made by the writer of this document between, you know, kundalini, yoga, sort of ancient astral projection texts and oral histories and such, and modern-day physicists who themselves are becoming a cliche where they they get to the edge of their knowledge and um, drop the atheism for uh, a very, very hard-won belief in generally a one God. So in 1983, the physics was, you know... It's moved along, but they're very aware of the importance of frequencies, the importance of carrier waves, the issues of uh, time in terms of time itself being a sort of measurement, ultimately just between two places, and the contradictions in terms of and the maybe paradoxes involved with something like projecting your consciousness out of a body that has a locale and but yet your consciousness has evidently and they do go into um some interesting very assertive types of claims about how the universe is structured they do not, in any way, suggest that it's actually the mind of God, which is actually what it is. They, I'll skip forward because they, there's, there are some diagrams depicting this toroidal shape, and a diagram of the absolute in infinity. Essentially, I think that their worldview suggests that, though they don't go the distance and say it, that we're in a sort of egg and the edge of the shell if we are the little chick um, is God you know containing all this but it's always and this we know it, it sort of makes sense from a military logistics point of view to attempt to reroute this and the material at every place but um, that's their understanding of they. they do adhere to the big bang which is You know, uh, maybe not philosophy 101, but philosophy 102 or 3, you know, this is just an infinite sort of regression where you're you're placing the question back. So if there's no creator of the universe, who created the Big Bang? Well, you know, we're not going to deal with that. Well, so what's the magic answer? Well, time. Time. Okay. In the sort of gravitational, you know, respect or perception, well you know, both, I don't know, they don't know and they're not probably, they're not ever going to know they're going to eventually come back to orthodoxy in the same way that this gratitudinal insight arrives uh, 3,000 years late, you know maybe it'll be 9,000 years before they they accept, you know oh, so there is At. It's not even an entity. It's a fact. It's a truth. It's all loving. It's all knowing. It's all powerful. And we are absolutely dependent. We're merely conditional to to it. Anyway. This is from the early part of the paper. Yoga, Zen, or Transcendental Meditation if practiced long enough, will produce a change in the sound frequency with which the human heart resonates throughout the entire body. In Orthodoxy, there's a special, there's a special place for the heart. You know, sacred heart is more of the Catholic thing, which if you don't, you probably do know. But, uh, Catholicism is not the original. They spun off in the schism. So, what Orthodoxy provides that Catholicism doesn't is one, a great deal of of sort of um, from the church fathers, from the saints, etc., commentary regarding the heart, that the heart should be guarded, you know, against the passions, against the demons, that you should always have this very close relationship with your heart. Having recently read this little study on the, the historical background be, behind the icon of the heart as, you know, this, this classic shape which the human heart is not quite shaped like that, these two lobes, and um, its affiliation, connection with Eros love. 15th century is when this all got started. So the relationship with the heart was not the way that we, you know, you imagine moderns hear this stuff and it's like, I need to be tender. I need to. I need to love. Yeah, you need to love your neighbor. We said that earlier, but this is a, a different sort of prescription pertaining to, you know, other facts of of being of the universe of God's creation. Very rarely, you know, are these admonitions elaborated upon. Was it because the early church fathers were out in the desert battling intensely with fucking super powerful demons and were experiencing, you know, weird effects on their hearts, strange palpitations that they then had to work out, you know, which rippled out into the other systems of their body. And so they had to spend another seven years out there sorting their shit out through prayer alone. That seems pretty likely to me. That may be speculative. It certainly is on my part. But other than revelation, which is an option, how did this stuff get, how did this knowledge, born out presumably through monk-like devotion to Hierophanies to sacred experiences of God in an attempt to commune direct, as direct as possible. Knowledge gained, codified, passed down 3,000 years. And here we are with the fact of the noose, the N-O-U-S is this special piece, we're told, of the heart. Which is God's gift to us which allows us to see clearly God's creation. We're told that we don't, you know, no man faces God. That's not possible. Again, the ant relativity example is probably not even close. It's probably like the ant to the human, the human to... Or, you know, if we're the ant, I don't know, 10 million, uh, an infinite number of humans. The scale is not scalable, but it gives you an idea of the problem. However, the noose is given to us to see, we're told, S-E-E, the works, the creation... The essence, the facts, of God. At some point, not too recently, but some time ago, and I have mentioned this many times, science discovered, and I believe they kind of retracted this and said that it was more um, the stem cell type of thing. But there are forty, or excuse me, uh, forty thousand optical cells in the human heart optical cells in the human heart and again I think they tried to dial this back to say that these were more in this, the function of similar to the in the function that stem cells have yet they're optical so moving on a little bit here in this CIA document. A lot of talk about, you know, the motor and sensory cortex and the third and lateral, ver- very, they call it, they divide the brain up into this new terminology. They actually call it the humunculus. They go through the various, um, kind of the yoga biofeedback, the somewhat comparable Innovations. the role of resonance so again Monroe Institute is using biurnal beats you should check these out if you haven't it's like an almost imperceptible sort of rhythm and uh It says, however, brain coherence through entrainment to, quote, beat frequencies introduced via stereo headphones is only part of the reason why the gateway gateway system works. It is also designed to achieve the physical quietude characteristics of deep transcendental meditative states which bring about a complete alteration of the fundamental resonance pattern associated with the sound frequencies produced by the human body. I'll repeat it. It is also designed to achieve the physical quietude characteristics of a deep transcendental meditative meditative state which brings about a complete alteration of the fundamental resonance pattern associated with the sound frequencies produced by the human body. That's very authoritative. Whether or not, you know, forget about the Monroe Institute. It's very authoritative for the Department of the Army, to make a statement such as that. According to Bentov, who's... this author that they refer to, evidently, in order to, like, gain an understanding of what all this stuff is, astral projection, kundalini, I wonder, you know, did did this character... Wayne McConnell, Lieutenant Colonel. Did he have... Was there some reason why they tapped him? Was he a psychological operations expert? Did he have a hobby... Was yoga his, you know, hobby... And everyone sort of knew this? Was he a real sciencey guy? What the fuck is the story there? So, back to this... Number eight. The role of resonance. According to Bentov... This change in resonance results from elimination of what the medical professionals call the bifurcation echo, so that the sound of the heartbeat can move synchronously up and down the circulatory system in harmonious resonance approximately seven times a second. Magic number seven. I hope that we're starting to make clear, in 1983, this document is being produced arrives back to us now when was it really produced, who knows this information let's assume it's all true that from the scientific level they now the technocracy, which is this is the exact type of information that would be very useful to, let's say, an evil cabal of assholes who had this uh, farming Ranching consumer-driven notion of you know let's unitize essentially the human being. This would be highly. This I mean, do we have this for cattle? Would this help ranchers? Maybe. Maybe they would find uh, the Monroe Institute helpful in the the husbandry of. Of animals. Alright, this other section, uh, interesting, 9, brain stimulation. Quote, this is Bentov Top again. This is occurring at a very long wavelength of about 40,000 kilometers, or just about the perimeter of the planet. In other words, the signal from the movement of our bodies will travel around the world in about one-seventh of a second through the electrostatic field in which we are embedded. Such a long wavelength knows no obstacles, and its strength does not attenuate much over large distances. Naturally, it will go through just about anything. Metal, concrete, water, and the fields making up our bodies. It is the ideal medium for conveying a telepathic signal. In the context of this paper, this is just, you know, evidently, uh, ostensibly trying to understand why, quote, Hemisync, TM, works, and the Monroe Institute, located once again in northern Virginia... I'm not sure where, uh, Virginia nonetheless. I want to get a couple of these other quotes to you to build out this context. 11. Consciousness and energy. Before our explanation can proceed any further, it is essential to define the mechanism by which the human mind exercises the function known as consciousness. So that there is a pretty bold claim in 1983 for a lieutenant colonel to be making, I guess to the commander at Fort Meade. We've now identified um, how the, the, the human mind, he does not say brain exercises the function known as consciousness and to describe the way in which that consciousness operates to deduce meaning from the stimuli which it receives. To do this, we will first consider the fundamental character of the material world in which we have our physical existence in order to accurately perceive the raw stuff with which our consciousness must work. That's very, from take it from me, from a writerly point of view, that is very calculated language perceive the raw stuff with which our consciousness must work it's as if they're they almost need to bend but this is common with the whole all of the issues with strict sort of um, materialist viewpoints the contradictions are, are always there and the agreement, the lie agreed upon is that someone else will fucking deal with them at some point Uh, So he goes on, the first point which needs to be made is that the two, excuse me, the first point which needs to be made is that the two terms matter and energy tend to be misleading if taken to indicate two distinctly different states of existence in the physical world that we know it. See right there. Indeed. Indeed. If the term matter is taken to mean solid substance as opposed to energy which is understood to mean a force of some sort then the use of the former is entirely misleading science now knows that both the electrons which spin in the energy field located around the nucleus of the atom and the nucleus itself are made up of nothing more than oscillating energy grids solid matter in the strict construction of the term simply does not exist This was kind of what, you know, the sort of stuff I was referring to with the idea that these guys are well down the rabbit hole as far as um, incorporating physics. Where it starts to get really out is... And this is Monroe again. I I should state, you know, the story is that Robert Monroe, who created this Monroe Institute himself i think encountered many entities in the various dimensions of ether space and you know either he was tapped as their um their go-to guy or befriended them and he personally mapped out like whole vast quadrants uh, dimensions of the universe I'm reminded, for whatever reason, of Joseph Smith attempting, foolishly, to take on Jim fucking Bridger. I'm not sure exactly why, but I have some personal suspicions. So we get into holograms here, and it states, energy creates, stores, and retrieves meaning in the universe. By projecting or expanding at certain frequencies in a three-dimensional mode that creates a living pattern called a hologram they go into deep detail about the facts of lasers and holograms and how the hologram is but you know in a shard you can have the whole but this is false energy does not create store energy does not create meaning unless by energy you mean god A force, You know, a nameless sort of force. That's why we don't refer, even though we don't refer to God as this bearded man, humanoid in the sky, we also, even though it's difficult, do not refer to him as an entity or a being. It's not fucking clear what it is. Again, 3,000 years ago, some old guys in the desert knew that. Knew that... You can't describe this as a force you can't and, and there were other guys right in other deserts who uh, Herodotus etc who were using those these types of terms, even deployed terms like the logos in very well you know meaningfully different ways later on, we go into having you know given to us the divulge the secrets of, of human consciousness. They move on to the consciousness matrix. 14. The universe is composed of interacting energy fields, some at rest and some in motion. It is, in and of itself, one gigantic hologram of unbelievable complexity. According to the... Let me just stop right there. The difference between saying it's a gigantic hologram of unbelievable com- complexity and saying that this experience that we have is all folded into the mind of god seems pretty darn close and that's the danger here this is the 90 10 rule um yeah it's it's one gigantic multi-dimensional unfathomable context of unbelievable complexity this is correct But its nature being a hologram Obviously implies something fake And that's not helpful Maybe that's, you know um, Just some sort of residue From bureaucratic, logistical Who knows what the entirety Psychological operations You know, I I will That's kind of what I'm driving to With all of this Is that Either the release of this document is meant, will be used for revelation of the method in Hoffman's terms. See, we knew this shit. In 1983, Hoffman didn't even put out fucking, this is them talking, you know, in their hoity-toity. Hoffman didn't even put out secret societies and um, psychological warfare until 2001 that's part of the revelation of the method that we as the profane are actually being indoctrinated into the cult without our even knowing it and that seems to be a really good description of what happens I was referring earlier to this you know in my terms narrative Uh, and again I'm not the first guy to say it in these terms Uh, at least in literary or humanity circles, but narrative... Not even allowing for the fact that this operates at a literal quantum level uh, between, you know, the brainwaves of your heart um, and other organs, just in terms of, like... uh, cultural texts uh, you know important cultural text to in to create or supplant ideology to, uh, used as necessary anyway so good, this part 14 goes on about the consciousness matrix one gigantic hologram etc according to the theories of Carl Prebram A neuroscientist at Stanford University and David Bohm a a physicist at the University of London the human mind is also a hologram which attunes itself to the universal hologram by the medium of energy exchange thereby deducing meaning and achieving the state which we call consciousness well again made in the image of God made in the image of God this is the exact thing, supposedly, that holograms do is... I'm not a physicist, nor am I an expert in lasers, but supposedly the laser is bounced off the object, and then in the shards of this laser are contained in each tiny uh, bit an image of the whole. It may very well be, and this seems to have happened, you know, where humans have created machines or devices. We've made certainly psychological sort of discoveries that suggest or emulate, you know, features of the divine, what have you. It's almost like kind of a logical thing that would happen uh, on a planet full of mostly useless retards who can't even look up to, to ask the question, why the fuck is all of this here? Why the fuck am I here? And what would it possibly mean that this does seem to exist? You know, bumbling around with advanced technology We're just sort of, you know, who knows, maybe scientist daemons tell them to do this stuff, but it does seem to be kind of a reoccurring thing. Let me skip through here. All right. So this is sort of the key point. We're at 122. I'll make this point, and I think that we we will move on. 18. Once again, we are in analysis and assessment of gateway process. Very recently declassified CIA document. Time-space dimension up to this point our discussion of the gateway process has been relatively simple and easy to follow now the fun begins (sighs) Gateway involves more than just perception of those aspects of the universal hologram which can be accessed in the dimension of time-space as we know it To explain how and why human consciousness can be brought to transcend the limitations of time-space is the next task which must be addressed to this, we must first appreciate what time and space are in order to understand how the dimension that they constitute can be transcended. Physicists define time as a measurement of energy or force in motion. In other words, it is a measurement of change. However, in order for energy to be in motion, it must first be limited in some way within the confines of some sort of vibratory pattern so that its confinement gives it the capacity for being contained at a specific location which is distinguishable from other locations parenthetical, space energy which is not confined is force without limit without dimension without the limits of form it is infinity it cannot move because there is nothing beyond infinity and is therefore outside of the dimension of time It is also beyond space because that concept implies that a specific energy form is limited to a specific location and is absent from other locations but if energy is in the state of infinity there are no boundaries no quote here to differentiate from there no sense of area energy in infinity means energy uniformly extended without limit it has no beginning no end no location it is conscious force the fundamental primal power of existence without form. That's a problem. A state of infinite being. Energy in infinity is said to be completely at rest and therefore cannot generate holograms so long as it remains utterly inactive. It retains its inherent capacity for consciousness in that it can receive and passively perceive holograms generated by energy and motion out in the various dimensions which make up the created universe but it cannot be perceived by consciousness operating in the active universe well they go on i my commentary for this is is again entirely personal and selfish some of these descriptions maybe again it's the ninety ten, but some of the implied conclusions I do not agree with and to contextualize this to, to make my point once again we're told in 2021 that these guys have been onto this stuff since at least 1983 if we extrapolate and presume you know perhaps Potentially, there's much, much more than this. This is just this Gateway Institute study. Insofar as much of this, if not specifically, you know, uh, I have a pretty limited understanding of physics. But even I know that some of these terms have been have shifted in uh, like professional parlance 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 Um, and I have actually come across some books that um, do away with this hologram notion but here's the thing let's just take it for what it's it's supposed to be delivered in this form to us. This was the intention of the release. So potentially, you know, it's just another supporting document to do psyops, etc. It absolutely, it, it, in a way, potentially, it supports the the conspiratorial narrative that... Much of technology is advanced and cloaked and used to harness human creative capacities for nefarious means. Agreed, agreed, agreed. In terms of this, these efforts, various efforts like the toroidal structure of the universe, etc., My contention is that these are efforts to claim unclaimed space once again, metaphysical space, and I would offer to you that it's not possible to do this. I've stated multiple times that my understanding of the warrior's way, um, and I've perhaps not detailed in full this notion of quantum writing, the, the weird relationship between the author at the state that he writes um, how he fights for that over time through the editing process to the moment when you the reader sit on your porch ride in the plane um, you know, sit in the car as your wife shops for groceries or otherwise come in contact with the meaning that is encoded in that book or in that story. We've established through Andrew Huberman that this happens independent of time or anything else. The reader is sort of compressed into a a form of communication that is time-traveling. And I say it's quantum because it's not an illusion and it's not entirely, I mean, they they will make a stab at sort of trying to create, you know, some AI narrative which does this, but it's not possible. So what are these, why do we guard the human heart? Why are only some works true? Should you guard your heart against the true work? No. Should you guard your heart against the bullshit? Yeah. In terms of this mapping, right, this is very presumptive. And I would suggest to you that this ground has already been, how do we say, uh, explored, Structures. Here's how I'll do it. Okay, so at the end of No Country for Old Men, Cormac McCarthy, Master, Sheriff Bell tells the story of the dream that he has where his father was riding of a knight up ahead of him, and he was carrying fire in a horn the way the old timers did, in his jacket. And it was... Evident, probably by the tone and the color palette of these things, that the father meant to go forward and make a fire. And then Sheriff Bell woke up. Boom. You know, cue the cynicism. Cue the black pill. Cue... I was going to say McCarthyism, but that wouldn't quite work. Pardon me. My interpretation of what is being suggested in McCarthy's choice and I want to relate this to this paper and the Warrior's Way is that there is actually already a rider a forerunner who went forward into the dream as Dale Cooper slipped into infinity you know, we could, you can there's plenty of fodder there to weave up a plausible sort of quantum narrative. The warrior's way, again, we don't know where it came from. Popped up everywhere. All different times, all different places. Seems to cohere. Absolutely coheres in terms of its utility to the human being facing reality, reality. It, I would suggest to you in this high octane speculation... That a forerunner of some type, ascended master, uh, Jesus. Uh, this could be part of the logos, but I'm, you know, very hesitant to make any sort of uh, stabs at that. But I don't need to, you know. Um, the church does not limit or even state what all the logos entails. But insofar as meaning is not actually, you know, we can sort of make our small inventions and reorder things, but meaning is inherent to the world. Nihilism is a stupid 17-year-old drunk kid's fucking joke. And I would suggest to you that there is a sort of claim, attempted, a false claim being made on property, psychic, metaphysical, cosmic property, which is already owned space. And we own it. Those who walk the warrior's way gain access to that. Because that is a narrative that coheres at the level of the toilet puking moment and the absolute uh, penultimate, I guess, experience right that split second before crossing between the worlds in your death. That's the that's what the warriors weigh if properly understood, and I may not have, I'm not claiming to have, You know, uh, mass communication is not my specialty, but I believe that I've made this part clear that the entirety of the warrior's way leads up to this absolute final, completely sober, completely hyper aware confrontation with death. So to me, every space in between, every instance, every tick on whatever measurement stick you want to use is contained within that. And any notions of, you know, this, this complete, this complete exteriority. It's, I mean, you can't prove it, right? It's always this problem of does the fucking tree make a noise when it crashes. So that seems to me to be a feature of things that rather than fighting against it all the time, a lot of what's suggested in this paper is, is, to my lights, very good. You know, like, some of the, the categorical insistences are being loosened up. Some pretty serious deep insights about, you know, well-being. Uh... <laughs> are being suggested now decades later you know we thank I'm very grateful ironically perhaps for Mr. Huberman thinking that that study is important enough to share it with a guy who does not go around scouring the world for studies so I will leave you guys with this little section 34 belief system considerations In this is still from this document in 1967 Alexandra, David Neal and Lama Young Den wrote a book entitled Secret Oral Teachings in Tibetan Buddhist Sects from which the following quote is taken it's like we're still living in Dale Cooper's resonance or is Dale Cooper a very accurate depiction of some sort of archetype being who already walked this space already mapped this or just laid out a few of those little you know markers breadcrumbs for those of us who wish to follow whoever it was McCarthy's father I guess Sheriff Bell's father into the forward dark the quote says the tangible world is movement say the masters not a collection of moving objects but movement itself there are no objects quote in movement it is the movement which constitutes the objects which appear to us they are nothing but movement This movement is a continued and infinitely rapid succession of flashes of energy. Parenthetical, in Tibetan, sal or shug. All objects perceptible to our senses, all phenomena of whatever kind and whatever aspect they may assume, are constituted by a rapid succession of instantaneous events. And then it goes back for one sentence to... Lieutenant Colonel the classic description of the universal hologram is to to be found in a Hindu sutra which says in the heaven of Indra there is said to be a network of pearls so arranged that if you look at one you see all the others reflected in it and he rightly points out in the section that none of the theories are you know antithetical or to essential tenets of the quote judeo-christian stream of thought so we live in a very interesting time mass and amb- ambiguity um in terms of the inf- we're in the inf- you know the yeah. info war it be waging and we are the resistance I apologize but we live in a time where to me it's exciting because the possibilities uh you know it's said it's a classic that in collapse um yeah there's a lot of terrible stuff that happens but in, or I think they say crisis there's this explosion of opportunities and um, not to summarize this something like this can't necessarily be summarized other than to say um, the warrior's way and you know the true importance of this connecting you to a narrative that you 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 as, as said you experience it you live it out in motion and in the motion you gain knowledge about it it self reaffirms and here we have Huberman saying um, this has direct relationship to your heart, your well-being in general or the dysfunction if you choose to tell yourself some fucked up story. And I've done this, I've brought this up as quantum weaponry. This is quantum weaponry. If in 1983, some characters at Fort Meade were dealing with shit like this, or if they're just putting it it out now to fuck with you, either way absolutely justifies... The the primacy, the existential importance potentially of comprehending and integrating the warrior's way. And that's that.